Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So just as a reminder, I reserve the right to interrupt any sermon series that I'm doing. And pause, put it on pause. I get to do that because that's just, I, sometimes I get an idea and I want to talk about it. So I, as I was on vacation, I started thinking about the importance of work in the life of, of a disciple of Jesus. And it's something that um, God was addressing my own heart. And it's something I want to share out of overflow of what he's, what he's teaching me. So we're going we're gonna to just pause the James series. So we typically go through a book of the Bible uh, because it helps me stay focused and stay on track. And when you're going through a whole book of the Bible, by the end of that series, if you've listened to every teaching, you have a pretty good understanding of what that book is about. And you can walk through it with other people. So it equips you for personal ministry, which is something that we're going to be more and more intentional about. So that's why we go through whole books of the Bible. And it forces us to discuss things that maybe sometimes would be a little bit uncomfortable. We can't avoid talking about those things when we're just following passage to passage. So that's our normal way of, of teaching. But sometimes um, I want to talk about other stuff. So I'm going to pull a Spurgeon on you this morning. Charles Spurgeon was the Prince of Preachers and he would take like one little verse and do a whole teaching, a whole long teaching on this one little verse. So there's a popular word called expository teaching today. And it's like all the rave. And there's a lot of misunderstanding of what that really means and what that really is. And some people think that if you just focus on one topic, it can't be expository teaching. Uh, if you're not interested in that stuff, then you can ignore this. But if you are interested in that stuff, expository teaching does not mean necessarily going through a book of the Bible. That's what it means to most people today. We like that, but not because it, we like that because it helps me stay focused, not because that's what you have to do when you preach. Expository teaching means that you are teaching in the context of what that passage is saying. It's not just a hanging verse that is not attached to the reality of the of the text that it's talking about. So. Needed to say that for some of you who are Bible geeks, and for the rest of you, that doesn't mean anything, but we're going to look at John 10.10. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bible, you can just listen. If you have a phone, you can find a a free Bible app somewhere or just Google John 10.10, and you will come up with it. We're using the ESV this morning. It gets a lot of things right. Not everything, but I like it. John 10.10 says... This is Jesus talking. That's important to know. This is Jesus talking. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So he's talking just very quickly there. God's enemy, who he's calling a thief here, um, who is intent on bending humanity away from God, who's intent on making everything else in life besides Jesus attractive, who's intent on making Jesus seem boring and dull. That's Satan. And Satan's interest for us is to steal and kill and destroy. Steal any hope that you can make something interesting out of your life. Kill any hope that you can have a meaning eternity with the most loving being in the universe, with other people that love him and love you. And destroy your life. His, his goal for your life is to keep you from God so that you gradually become a thinner version of who you were intended to be. 
a more miserable person of who you were intended to be. And that's what happens when we go after the things other than Jesus. We actually think that they're going to make us happy and joyful and blissful. They think it's the way to an exciting, adventurous, and meaningful life, and it actually just sucks the life out of us. That's what the enemy does. But Jesus says, the second part of John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' goal, Jesus' desire for your life is that you experience it in abounding, abundant ways. There's two thoughts I want to I focus on just briefly from this verse. Two thoughts on God's offer for abundant life. Jesus is implying that your life in and of itself, apart from him, apart from any influence from him, is not all that interesting. Now, we try to create an interesting persona, a lot of times like through social media, we try to create an interesting image of ourselves that we project to the rest of the world. We try to create an interesting life, but you can only go so far. And at the end of the day, apart from Christ, we're not all that interesting. Tom Brady, who is a decent quarterback, an interesting person, and very winsome, very likable, um, very successful. Uh, he's a good-looking dude. He's got all the money he'll ever need. He's very successful at what he did. He's got a lot of notoriety. He's a celebrity. Here's, here's what Tom Brady said. This is a quote from Tom Brady. He said, why do I have, this is when he had three, how many Super Bowl rings does he have now? Anybody know offhand? How many? Seven? Okay, I, just pretend he's saying seven because this was after three, but I, I'm sure he still feels the same way. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, but I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And he's speaking wiser than he knows because he's addressing God without realizing. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I love playing football and I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. He verbalized that life apart from Christ is not all that interesting. It's not all that satisfying. That's why disciples of Jesus don't get starstruck. We're not super impressed by other human beings. You know, maybe the people around us look at some people and are impressed by them or are nervous around them because they have some notoriety or power or status. They're a celebrity, they're famous. And maybe people around us look at them and they get a little starstruck. But followers of Jesus, once you've met Jesus, everyone else seems a lot less interesting. We don't get starstruck like everybody else does. We're not overly impressed by anyone. Because we know the secret. No life apart from Christ can be described as truly abundant, truly amazing. Now... um, it's okay to admire people, and it's okay to think, you know, that certain people are entertaining and interesting, but 
we don't worship anyone but Jesus. And there was a weird, um, there was a weird moment in this is particular. I think uh, I think back to when um, Donald Trump was president, and I'm this. I'm not making any commentary on politics right now. We're not going to go down that rabbit trail. But I did notice something very, very strange. That a lot of people who were confessing Christ were literally saying some of the same things that the Israelites would say about their, their kings that God punished them for. We almost were worshiping him in some very weird ways. And I just remember at times thinking, does anybody else, does anybody else See the insanity of worshiping a human being the way that we are elevating and proclaiming his name when that should be reserved for one person and it's not him. No life in and of itself apart from Christ is all that interesting. The second thing that we can see about this verse is Jesus is saying that your life can only become interesting with him. He offers it this way. Here's what he is literally saying in that verse. I am life, and you can have all that you want of me. The goal is not to have an abundant, interesting life. The goal is to have me. And when you have me, you will have life to the full. Robert Gundry, in his commentary on the New Testament, makes a key distinction. He says, Jesus is not saying here that you will have an abundance of years, like you'll have an abundance of life and you'll live a really long time. He, that is true. That's not what he's saying here. Uh, we have eternal life in Christ. But what he's saying here is that you have life abundantly. Life to the full. Now, how is this related to work? How's this related to, by the way, the title of this talk is Why, Why Disciples of Jesus Shouldn't Hate Mondays. Much of our waking hours are spent at school or work. And I think that this abundant life in Christ can also be lived in those contexts. And I think some Christians think that you can only live an abundant life in Christ after you get home from work or after you get home from school. And that for about 40 hours a week, they aren't really actually able to live an abundant life in Christ. It's just kind of the grind. But do you know that every minute of your life can actually be described as abounding in Christ? And so I, this morning, what I want to do is offer some diagnostic questions Specifically about work or school, if you're, if you're a student, you can apply all these things to school. If you're an adult, you can apply all these things to work. And also, managing a household is work. So if that's what your responsibilities are, that, I promise you that that is work. And you don't need me to tell you that. So these diagnostic questions apply to all those, okay? We're just going to go through these. One, on a scale of 1 to 10, how painful are your Sunday evenings? And you know exactly what I'm talking about. How painful are Sunday evenings? 
Like, are you, are you like getting to the end of the weekend and you're starting to get a little bit down, you're starting to get a little depressed because you're like, oh, I have to work tomorrow. My life is going to be over for 40 hours this week. And it's just brutal and depressing and sad. And how painful are they? Two, does your work or school have a sense of depth and quality about it? Or do you just skim over the surface of your day doing the bare minimum? So I'm, uh, I'm reading this. There are certain books that I, I read several times very slowly and certain books that I read with people who are interested. This is one of the books that I, I've been taking uh, with a couple guys. We've been reading it for about a year. It's The Divine Conspiracy. It's really good. Um, Dallas Willard says this about work in it. He says... Our intention with our job should be the highest possible good in its every aspect. And we should pursue that with the conscious expectation of a constant energizing and direction from God. So God is interested in what you do at work. He wants to energize your efforts and he wants to direct and guide by his spirit. You spend a lot of time there. He's interested in what happens there. Although we must never allow our job to become our life, we should, within reasonable limits, routinely sacrifice our comfort and pleasure for the quality of our work, whether it be axe handles, tacos, or the proficiency of a student we are teaching. Do you, would your coworkers, would the people that you serve say that you do quality work? that you are efficient. Now, we're going to get to why this is important in a little bit. Or do you have a reputation of someone that just skims by and does the bare minimum? Next question. Do you have enriching, meaningful conversations and connections at work or school? Thoughtful, others-centered conversations are the heart and foundation of serving others in Christian love. If you want to be a fruitful disciple of Jesus, you need to learn how to have others-centered conversations. You need to learn how to listen and ask questions. What Bob said there was perfect. We didn't even talk about that. I mean, it was brilliant. That is perfect. The heart of Christian love is being able to have a good conversation. If you trace Jesus through the scriptures, you see he was a master conversationalist. And he, he taught others, he served others by what he learned from them in conversation. He was brilliant at it. Do you ask questions? We keep coming back to this because this is the heart of being a disciple of Jesus, a fruitful disciple of Jesus. Do your coworkers, do your friends who sit with you at lunch at school, would they describe you as a great conversationalist? As C.S. Lewis says, a great conversationalist is a, a truly humble person, is not someone when you walk away from them, you think to yourself, man, that's a really fascinating person. When you walk away from a truly humble, great conversationalist, you walk away thinking, man, they were really interested in me. Do you have that reputation? People around you, the wake that you leave around you after being with someone is they think, man, that person was really interested in me. I feel seen, heard, cared for, loved. Another diagnostic question, do you bring creative improvements to your work? 
Are you proactive in solving problems for your supervisor? We can get really nitty-gritty. We can get really specific when we're talking about these things. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, the context-specific application to this, it's talking specifically about church leaders. But the universal, broader application, the broader arc of application to this passage is that you should not be a pain to your bosses, to your supervisors. You should actually be a delight. When you come into a room with an idea they get energized and excited instead of like, oh, I'm going to have to, this is his idea and it's going to put 10 more hours of work of me on a week. You know, people like that, they, they have an idea for you to do. You're actually the one that's going to them solving problems and issues, making their lives easier. 1 Timothy 6.1 says, let all who are under a yoke as, as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. If you're working for someone, do you honor them with your work ethic, with solving problems, with making their load a little bit lighter? What about this one? Do you bring a joyful presence to your workplace? Do you guys know anybody at work that complains ever? Has anybody met anyone at work that complains? This is like constant complaining. Have you ever met anyone that gossips at work? So if they proclaimed the good news of Jesus and the abundant life that he offers, how seriously would you take it if you were not a believer? What about this? Are you known for being opinionated? Or are you known for having a deep well of compassion, tenderness, and gentleness? Are you neglecting the, oh, okay, this is the big one, and I'm going to settle on this for a minute because this is, a, I think, important for us to understand who we're dealing with when we invite them into our work life. Are you neglecting the opportunity to learn from Jesus how to do your work with excellence because you have a bless his little heart vision of Jesus? You know what a bless his little heart vision of Jesus is? He's a nice guy. He taught us how to be a good person. He even provided a way out of hell. Other than that, he's not terribly relevant to my life. Bless his little heart. We listen to him on Sunday mornings, and sometimes I listen to some worship music. But he wouldn't know what to do in my situation at work. He wouldn't know what to do about my situation at school. He's relevant to about 10% of my life. That's the bless his little heart version of Jesus. Kara, when I was talking with her about this, said it's like in 2 Timothy 3, 5, where Paul says it's having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Bless his little heart vision of Jesus is like Ricky Bobby on Talladega Nights praying to baby Jesus. Dallas Willard, who's a philosophy professor who was for years a philosophy professor, he's passed um, since, but at USC, 
said that Jesus wasn't just kind, he was brilliant. He said that Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. It's pretty smart. We haven't been able to figure out how to do that. I mean, that's one of his easier things. He knew how to create matter from energy. He took a little handful of bread and fish and fed thousands of people. That's smart. He knew how to transform human tissue from sickness to death, or from sickness to to health and from death to life. He had a fairly large capacity, Jesus did. And currently, Dallas says, he is supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. Pretty big project. He might be able to help with work. He might be able to help at school. And so why do we treat Jesus as though he wouldn't understand how to help? His knowledge is infinitely exhaustive. And his capacity is inexhaustible. Are you facing any perplexing situations at school or work? Because the hardest thing in the world to do for the Western Christian is to transfer correct doctrine through our heart into our hands so that it actually lands on the real world around us. Because our version of Christianity, one of the shadow effects of the Reformation, and the Reformation did light years more good than bad, but one of the shadow effects is that we now think to be a really robust Christian is to have proper, good, sound doctrine. And I would say that even demons have better doctrine than some of us. That's not what it is. It's taking this, and this is what James is talking about. This is what you've heard the last couple weeks. It's taking this doctrine, making it alive to us in our hearts, and making it on fire through our hands to the rest of the world so that the things that we touch are actually impacted what we believe about Jesus, by what we believe about Jesus. He is interested in how we spend our time, and he's willing to participate with us in blessing the world around us with his goodness, his wisdom, his love. Do you lack a sense of motivation at work? Have you ever asked Jesus, what would it look like for me to reimagine my work so that it actually becomes compelling? So that I I actually don't dread going there. Now, some of you, and I I have friends that you actually might need to go to a different place. (laughs) Maybe God's direction for you is you need to find somewhere else to work. That's a very valid thing as well. But if that's not it, if you're meant to be where you are for a stretch, for a longer season, how have you asked God to reimagine your work so that it's interesting? So that you have interesting things to offer, so that you aren't depending on your work to make you interesting. You make your work interesting because of who you are. Do you lack a clear vision for your work or for school? Have you asked God why he's placed you there? Have you asked him what good you want, he wants you to bring into the world through your work or through school? Or do we, along with many others, slip into the thinking that the only re- 
only redemptive thing about work is that it's a place where you can share the gospel. Now, don't walk out and leave yet. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. That's an unfortunate consequence of revivalism theology that believes that the only good we do in the world is sharing the gospel. Now, we do share the gospel. It's the central thing we do. It's the main priority of our life to make disciples of Jesus. And work is indeed, school is indeed, a place where we ought to always be ready to share the gospel, the hope that's in us if the opportunity arises. Like every scenario in your life, you should be ready. But some people treat work as though if I'm not sharing the gospel or passing out tracts, then there's no reason for me to be there. The abundant nature of the life of Christ shining through us primes the pump for people to hear and receive the life that Jesus is offering them as well. It matters how you live. An atheist can pass out a tract, and Jesus will use that. But there is a deeper and broader impact when the gospel is shared out of a life that is aflame for Christ, burning with his wisdom and love. It makes a difference how you live. In other words, does your life at work and school demonstrate the good news that you proclaim to others? Let me ask you a question. So imagine someone at, that you know at work, lazy, does shoddy work, always late to meetings, always running behind, always frantic and frenetic. They make coffee nervous. They're just hard to be around. They cheat, they gossip, they lie. Imagine that person, like I said earlier, sharing the gospel of Jesus with you. Or they, they tell crude jokes. You know, they're just kind of uncomfortable with the things they say. Imagine that person sharing the gospel of Jesus, the good news of you can have life to the fill with Jesus. Just look at me. You can have life with Jesus just like I do. Now imagine someone who shows up early to meetings and appointments, is calm, is, is there, is available, is not on their phones, but is available to talk with people as they enter into the room, very relational, very gentle, very loving to be around, warm, winsome, kind, not sharp, doesn't have a weird edge to them, has a sense of humor, and gets the work done. And does it really well. Has a reputation for doing what they say they will do. And imagine you talk with them one day and it just naturally comes out. They share the gospel. They share how Jesus has come into their life and changed them and transformed them. Which one are you going to be more apt to listen to? We can make it as practical as that. We can experience this abundant life in Christ. And we must experience this abundant life in Christ as we abide in him, if we're going to be fruitful as disciples of Jesus. Most of Jesus' vocational life was spent as a carpenter in Nazareth. That's Mark 6.3. Do you think Jesus did sloppy work? I mean, really, do you think he took shortcuts in his carpentry? He literally did carpentry work. What do you think his workshop looked like? Do you think it was a sloppy mess? 
He organized matter into a coherent universe. He could probably find where the hammer was. I mean, this is real life stuff. Jesus lived as an example of how we ought to live. And the fact that he was a carpenter and the fact that Mark tells us and makes a point of demonstrating that he was a carpenter is, I think, important. I don't think there's a lot of wasted words in Scripture. I think it's something worth thinking about. The church often doesn't teach on these things as much as we should because we've been, um, we've been influenced by Plato. This is called Platonic Christianity, and it's done a disservice to Christianity. It's one of the philosophies in life that we have to be, we have to be aware of and we have to be careful about. Plato said that matter is at best irrelevant, but it's probably evil, and that only spiritual dimensions of life are good. In the same way that we've been impacted by Stoicism in the church, where we try to not follow anything having to do with feelings, we've also been impacted by this platonic version of Christianity where all matter is not, not important, not essential, evil, and only spiritual things are good. So we live our Christian life up in, the, up in our head, and we never disciple one another and talk about what does it look like to be a good worker. We have to talk about this stuff, because this is where the reality of Christ in us touches our real life. Remember that God's original vision for humanity was that we would worship him while tending to the garden that he created for us. What if you saw your daily work as an extension of the Garden of Eden where you prayerfully receive wisdom and insight from God as to how to best tend to your, your, your corner of the garden? Let's make this really important. And I'm just sharing this with you because this is the things that God brought to my mind for me. If Jesus replaced you at work and he got a job performance review in six months, what would they say about him? If he replaced you at school and they reviewed his performance at school, at the lunch table, between classes, in classes, at home, what would they say about him? At his job performance review, do you think they, your boss would say he was unmotivated? That he did sloppy work? That he was undisciplined? Do you think they'd say he, he didn't work well with others? That he only half-heartedly committed to his work? You think they would say he never engages with other people? I mean, we're all having lunch together in the lunchroom, and he's off on the side at a table all by himself listening to sermon podcasts. Tomorrow morning, millions of people will go to work. And some of them will hear the gospel from the most unmotivated and unrelational worker at the company. And it shouldn't be that way. I wish I could claim this, but someone else said it. A really good question that we Christians ask is, what if you were to die? What would happen? It's a good question. But what if we also asked, what if you were to live? What would happen? Seeing that our responsibility is not just to gut through life and wait for Jesus to come back, but to actually live an abundant life in Christ. 
What would that look like? That's interesting too. What if your place of work or school was a theater for the wisdom of God to be put on display for all to see? Because you're constantly praying and reflecting and seeking God for wisdom and insight as to how to do your work, how to be at work as a disciple of Jesus in a beautiful and productive way. If you're the boss, what if you were known as the fun-loving boss rather than the oppressive boss? So I don't think he's here so I can do this. I think we've got a couple, we've got a couple good pictures. This is a, this is a fun, we ha, don't show it yet. Yeah, okay, that's it. This is, a, this is one of our shepherd team. And I actually think that an important thing about being a disciple of Jesus is that you, if you can do something and be serious, that's the only way that you can accomplish what you're doing, then be serious. But if you can do something and be funny, why not be funny? I just read a quote from someone that said, of all the people that I like, I was trying to think of everything that they had in common, and I couldn't think of every, anything. But of all the people that I love, there is one thing in common with all of them. They made me laugh. Humor, Jesus was brilliant at humor, and we're so grumpy, we miss it. He was hilarious. We should do a sermon, on, a sermon series on his humor because he was funny. He would be more funny than probably we would be comfortable, a lot of us, because we think you have to be more serious and stoic. This is awesome. I love that this is on our shepherd team, that Chad Ackerman, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I think it's absolutely hilarious that he does this. This is brilliant and beautiful. You know why? Because he doesn't seem stuffy. He's winsome. He's easy to be around. Why do you think so many kids were attracted to Jesus? Do you think little kids would flock a person and the disciples have to push them away? And Jesus saying, let them come to me. Do you think kids would flock to a person who is a grump, who's stale, who's dead, who's grumpy? We have such a weird vision of Jesus and who he was. And so we become weird. That's why I've said before, I heard someone else say, religion makes you weird. Jesus makes you alive and abundant and fun and interesting. You want to be around people who are alive in Christ. All right, you better take that down. I'm glad he's not here this morning. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What we see in scripture is when the abundant life of Christ is flowing through us, we have a joie de vivre about us. Our life is generative instead of stagnant. It's fresh and creative instead of stale. We're thinking new thoughts about God. We're, our minds are enthralled with God instead of the same old boring thoughts regurgitated about him over and over every day. Our life has momentum instead of feeling stalled, and we bring that momentum into every aspect of our life, even work, even school. Irenaeus, who lived about 130 years after Jesus, who was a Christian leader, is cited by one of my professors in seminary as saying, the glory of God is man fully alive. And the life of man is the vision of God. Got the music team, Michael and Kara, come on up and I'm gonna, I just wanna lead you guys in a prayerful, reflective practice here. So could you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. This is going to be a personal thing between you and God.
bow your head and close your eyes. And I want, I want to ask you a couple questions. And I want you to reflect on these yourself. I want you to think about how intentional have I been about involving Jesus with my work? Really, really. How intentional have you been in making sure that Jesus is involved in your work? What would people who work with me, who work for me, say about Jesus based on what they see in me? What would they think about Christianity? How much momentum and joy do I bring to my work? known for someone who's coming in with fresh ideas and ways to serve who goodness just comes out of you you're a joy you're a delight to work with now if you're interested in taking a step towards a more interesting and intentional work or school life as a disciple of Jesus, you can, under your own breath, in the quiet of your own mind, you can repeat after me this prayer. Father, I surrender to you. I surrender every aspect of my life to you. You have placed me in this particular work or school for this particular season of my life for a reason. What is that reason? I give you my life I give you my work or school. Give me a fresh vision for my work or school life. Teach me how to pray about these things. And I pray that my life would magnify Jesus. Pray that my life would glorify Jesus. In his strong name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.